The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 14 to the end of the chapter. So this is uh, Jesus um, sending his messages to the churches uh, through a vision um, of John. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have possessions and need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve, to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. I'll add my welcome to the others who have been here already. My name is Eric. I'm the assistant pastor here at Ascension Church. It's so good to be with you here. And if you are new or visiting, or maybe you just need a reminder, we are in the middle of a series called Zealous for Good Works. I'm guessing for most of us, when we hear the word zealous, it's usually in a negative connotation. That person is overzealous about something. They're too passionate. They're too caught up in what they're interested in. And yet, as we've been in this series, we've been seeing that there are different points throughout the Scripture where Christians are called to be zealous, to be caught up, to be passionate with something that God is passionate about. And this morning, as we just heard read from Revelation, the subject is to be zealous and repent. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. This is a vivid passage of Scripture. It is a challenging passage of Scripture. So begin with prayer this morning before we go any further. Lord, we need more light from you. To light in our way, to show us things that we counted on that were good are actually false that we may turn to you. You reveal yourself in love. When your word is to be received in love, I pray for the moments of it that are challenging this morning, we would know that you are the loving Father. Again, Lord, would you give us more light as we look at this passage today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've had a chance 
uh, living in Phoenix to ever make it down to a first Friday, a first Friday of the month in downtown Phoenix is a showing of, of restaurants downtown, of, of artists out on the street, street musicians playing. We've gone multiple times, always by accident. We just happen to have a date night on a first Friday, and we go down. It's so crowded. What are we doing here? So uh, let's leave. But, uh, but, but first Fridays are, are fun. It, it draws a good crowd and some food trucks. Um, but there's always uh, a little bit of a strange element going on there as well. Last time I was there, there was a table um, of, of people speaking about uh, flat, flat earth, and, and convincing me about flat earth, or trying to. Um, and so, move along. It also tends to attract a crowd of, um, of street preachers, of men standing on different corners of intersections with a megaphone, shouting into the crowd as they walk by um, to get something from a food truck. Usually some call to repent. I'm guessing for many of you, if you're like me, when you hear that word, repent, your mind may jump to a similar scene, a street preacher at a first Friday yelling into a megaphone. And if that's the first thing that comes into your mind when you think of repentance, then reading this letter to Laodicea and coming across the command from the Lord to be zealous and repent Give me a challenging thing to take in and read. It can seem a little abrasive. How are we to understand this? Street preaching is problematic in several ways. It can be, and I might say more about that later. My goal this morning is not to put this letter up next to that, but rather to just say that we need to acknowledge this morning that this church in Laodicea, they get a warning from Christ. A hard word. They are identified as being lukewarm, as, as middling, as compromised in their faith. And so Jesus says, essentially, you are useless. You've become useless. And the fix, the doctor's orders, as it were, is to be zealous and repent. So let me state this morning this, this claim, this, this, uh, that the, the main idea, and I want to preach from this passage this morning, I think this is the main warning to this church in Laodicea, and it stands for us today. The main idea is this, an unrepentant Christianity soon becomes a worthless Christianity. An unrepentant Christianity eventually, over time, becomes a worthless Christianity. And this is the warning to the church in Laodicea this morning, and it is still relevant to warning for us today, as it says in verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear actively, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches even now. And so if we read this, and our desire would be to be the opposite of lukewarm, to be a useful Christian, to be a thriving Christian, a flourishing, a satisfied Christian, then we must be zealous for repentance. Despite the preconceived notions that we might have, maybe that done poorly or modeled poorly for us, despite what that is, we still have to grapple with this verse to be zealous and repent. 
So this morning, as we look at this letter to this church, I want to look at three things, three sort of how-tos for us this morning. The first is just how to repent. I'm going to look into what is this, how to repent. And secondly, look into how to miss repentance, where repentance goes wrong, how, how you can basically do it the wrong way. And lastly, how to find repentance irresistible. So go through these things. And my prayer for us this morning has been that we will have ears to hear from the Scriptures, God's view of repentance and the place that it should take in each of our lives. First, I want to just simply look at how to repent. And before going any further, we just need to recognize this church in Laodicea, they had great reason to repent. Here is the state of Laodicea. They have a lukewarm, a listless, and a lackluster faith. Actually, Jesus says it better, or worse, if you like, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And to make matters even worse, this letter to Laodicea is actually the seventh of a packet that starts out the book of Revelation. It starts with seven letters to seven churches, each with a unique thing that Christ is speaking into. He wants to correct something in each church, but he does compliments. He kind of squints at some of the churches and says, I do see you doing this. I like that. Keep doing that. I, I'm proud of you for, for enduring this. But did you hear that second half from Christ to Laodicea a second ago? Did he, did he squint at the church and find something to pull out? He did not. That's a, kind of a blow to be the last of seven people addressed, and by the time it gets to you, there's not even anything left for Jesus to commend. And so that's why it is a harsh word to read this this morning. No, he does not commend them. Instead, he says, I know your works. You're not cold. You're not hot. Because you're not cold, you're not hot. You're lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. They are totally useless and offensively so. Now, we may be tempted to read this this morning as, as some have in the past, as I even did in the past, and, uh, and we think that Jesus is almost saying, a hot Christian is what you, uh, a Christian who's well, yeah, the hot Christian's what you want to be. I mean, well, you can't argue with that. But regardless, uh, a very heated faith, a flame within you, a faith that burns, that's what I want. And Jesus is saying, this is not the way I think we should read this, but this is sometimes how we can think. Jesus is saying, you're in the middle. You're not fully heated up, and I wish you weren't even a Christian. I wish you were cold, dead, didn't know me at all. That, I think, is maybe a way to read this. I don't think that would be the right way to read this. I don't think Jesus is so disgusted by an immature group of believers that he would say, so mature, so middling, I wish you weren't even a church. No, no, I think, I think he's wishing that they were useful for something, as we know, with cold water and hot water that is useful. But as I learned yesterday, even taking my kids to the park, that fountain water is very lukewarm, very disgusting, and we just got dehydrated and waited till we got home. We didn't like it so much. The, the, the scholarship on this is, is strong with Laodicea, with kind of where it was positioned with some cities where um, uh, Colossae, a, a city to the south, 
had cold, pure water, and it was kind of known for having that. And, and north of Laodicea was a different city called Hierapolis. They had hot springs, kind of a medicinal uh, uh, cleansing water. And, and here is Laodicea kind of in the middle. They don't have something that people can actually use. And so Jesus is not saying, because you're not on fire for me, I wish you were just ice cold, gone, out of my space. He's saying, there's a use for being cold. <laughs> it's refreshing. It's life-giving. It's nourishing. And there's a use for hot water. It's medicinal. It's calming. It's, it's cleansing. And you're not a drop of either. And so he commands them to repent. Now, let's, let's, let's think through what repentance is here. How to repent. What is he asking them to do? There are three features to repentance that occur. They should all occur at once. Sometimes they're in different uh, degrees or engagement levels from us. But here's the, like, the simplest way to think through repentance uh, that, I, that I know of. When I think of repentance, I'm thinking of I'm putting something down to pick something else up. There's an exchange that's happening. I'm holding on to something, believing something, feeling something, doing something, needing something, wanting something. I'm setting that down to go for what the Lord is calling me to. So it's not, it's not only like a no, no touch thing. It's a, this is not what, where we should be right now. We need to move over to here. That's the full circle of repentance. And there are three things that happens in that process. The first one is, as you know, is an intellectual uh, consent, a mental repentance, a cognitive repentance. Jesus calls them to this in verse 15, where he says, I know your works. Okay, compare that to verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing and he goes on to tell them who they truly are. And so Christ is calling them to repentance. He's call, calling for them to change their minds. Literally, your reality is not shaping up with my reality and how I see you. And you need to know that. You know this from experience, or I will say I know this from experience, because this is the intellectual repentance is the moment in the argument where you sort of like clench up and you're like, wait a second, I think they have a point. And actually... In this moment, I'm having to set down this view that I'm having. And it's like that deciding moment in an argument. We're like, this can go up a notch, or I can actually acknowledge what's going on inside right now, that I do see their side of it. I do see their perspective. And whatever I'm holding on to, there's a call to repentance right now. That's that clench moment in an argument. And you know how that is when you decide. <laughs> I know how that is when you decide. I'm going to stick to what I've got here. Uh-oh. No, no. It's a call to, to repentance there. Here's the second piece. Um, that is the first battleground, but it goes deeper than that. Repentance must go from the heart, head to the heart to an emotional level. There is a change of feeling. This is emphasized by Christ's demands. Be zealous and repent. God wants a heart-changed response here. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. No, okay, you said it. Feel your sorry. Feel your sorrow. Let your repentance go down to the heart. 
You can say it with your words. You can think it with your mind. There's a, there's a heart change sorrow that's going on. It's a second space for repentance. They all work together. Here's the third one. Volitional, acting, doing, practicing it. This is the key to what I've already been saying. Putting something away, putting something else on. And this is what Christ wants them to turn to. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you might see. It's interesting that Christ lists these things for them because, of course, they meet exactly what they need in the previous verse. He says, I identify you as poor, as, as miserable, as naked. I have the things you need. You need to turn to me volitionally, giving up these other things that you're looking and coming to them for me. It's, it's, it's well documented historically that Laodicea was a rich economy of, of wealth and, and banking, that they imported and exported uh, textiles and fabrics, and that actually it is, it is actually recorded that there was a famous optometrist practicing in Laodicea who had an eye salve. And so it's just interesting to think about these things that they're surrounding themselves with in their own city, and they say, these are hallmarks of who we are, old money, great clothes, health and wealth here, from the, must the Lord not be blessing us? And Christ says, I see right through all that. I know your works. But then he counsels them. I have the things you actually think you have. And I'm offering them to you. Everything you think you have, you don't, says Christ. And because I love you, I want you to know that. I want you to be sorrowful for going after the other things. And I want you to then... I want you to come to me. Come to me. I have what you need. We don't know the specific case of this church. What was their particular sin? Was it like an immoral business practice or religious or political syncretism or something? We just know Laodicea has turned away from Christ, and they're being called to repent to find what they need in Him. And we see that unrepentant Laodicea is in danger of becoming worthless Laodicea. We hear the call to repent here from Christ, and it's a word that we all do need to hear and respond to. And yet, there's a point I want to touch on this morning too, and here's the second, second point is um, we can so easily miss repentance. We can so easily miss what Christ is actually calling us to do. I'll explain a little bit about how to, how to miss repentance. And here's the easiest way to miss repentance. It's to equate the call to repentance with the call to earn something, to earn this. Let me give an example. In the 1998 film Saving Private Ryan, we get the story of Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, and he and a squadron of soldiers are sent to save Private Ryan, as the title suggests. No spoilers, uh, but yes, they do. They don't know Ryan, but he's one of four brothers, 
and the other three have all been killed in action. And so the army, in a, in a desire to spare this family the suffering of their final and fourth son, sends Captain Miller out to rescue him. And the story is about their harrowing adventures. They do find him. They do save him. But the movie ends with a battle on a bridge. And the main character, Captain Miller, is wounded. And he's looking up at Private Ryan, and with his dying breath, he says to him, earn this. Earn it. And then the battle on the bridge concludes. The movie is winding down. And the movie jumps ahead several decades to when Private Ryan is, is an older man. He's a grandfather. And he comes to the grave of Captain Miller to thank him. He brings his family with him. And he stands in front of his tombstone, and he says, Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I tried to live the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned all that you have done for me. And that's pretty much how the movie ends, is with this burden that he has been carrying this whole time. And you see so clearly that while Ryan is thankful that his life has been spared, he has walked with a burden his entire life, trying to do exactly what Captain Miller commanded him, earn this. But how? How could he ever live a life worthy of all the men who, not even knowing him, not even meeting him, died that him and his family might be spared? And you might say, he's lived a life of repentance. He's, he's taken those words and he said, earn this. Okay, I'm going to set this down and pick this up. Prioritize the thing that matters. Make my life count. But I would say he's missed repentance because he's carried a, a burden to earn what has been given him rather than responding to what has been given to him to free him up to walk in repentance before him. I think for so many of us, when we hear, read words like repent in the scriptures, or maybe we think even on our order of worship every single week, if you come to ascension regularly, we do a repentance of sin. And there's, there's a chance that we can miss repentance entirely when we hear it as, now let's pause to earn this. Let's pause to earn it. This is not a pathway to getting right with God. It's a response to the discovery of the grace we've already received. But, but this is so real. I mean, how many young men and young women, perhaps, wrestling with, with matters of, of sexuality, find themselves in a position of regretting sin. And what is so often our response in the, that, that sort of space or even another sinful space, we think, I need to repent. I need to pray hard. I need to like, okay, actually lock in and like regain the ground that I've lost. Regain favor with God. But that is missing repentance. For repentance is not the pathway to God. It is a response to the grace that we have already received. When we change it to an earn it mentality, this works its way out in multiple ways, either by front-loading repentance as this is the only means by which I can make myself right and more pure before God, 
it worked out in Laodicea in a similar but different way. I think, I think in a way, they're using God's kindness and love to possibly abdicate repentance. This is another way to miss repentance, is to say, because God is loving, because He forgives, I don't really need to kind of stress about this whole living for Him thing. It's, he's kind of got it. He's good. Surely He'll understand. We've all heard that before. We've all been tempted in our own lives to take shortcuts in that way. That is still an earn it mentality. The assumption is just the bank account's full. (laughs) It's still based on an assessment of God that says, he's calling for this. He's calling me for to earn it. That's not what Christ is calling them to do here. He's calling them to see his love and respond in repentance. Romans Chapter 2, verse 4, puts the answer to this mentality perfectly. If we're, if we're struggling with missing repentance, we need to return to this verse. Paul asks, similar to what I think is going on in Laodicea, do you presume, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness, God's forbearance, God's patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Do you presume on his kindness, not knowing that the kindness that you have in the first place is there to compel you to repentance? So, in other words, we don't, we don't stand in a, in a posture of repentance over Christ's grave, as, as Ryan did for, for Captain Miller and Mutter. I hope that in this act of repentance, at least in your eyes, I, I've, I've earned all of what you have done for me. No, no. We, we look to the kindness of God in the ascended Christ who says in verse 21, even right here, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. What does he mean, the one who conquers? The one, the one who stays the course, who, who perseveres in my love. You'll, you'll conquer with me. There's nothing you need to do. You're just seeing the love I've already showered on you. And, and out of that, there is no, no option of the heart than a knee-jerk reaction to, to respond in, in repentance. It's an irresistible repentance to the, to the kindness of God that compels us. And this irresistible repentance is what I want to touch on last. And that that is so key here. If we're going to to do repentance, but we're not going to miss it, then we're going to have to find repentance irresistible. And that is, as I have already been saying, repentance is not an earn it. It is a response to what we have already received. So here's the third point, how to find repentance irresistible. I've already pointed out that Jesus doesn't commend this church in Laodicea for anything. And moreover, aside from not really giving them any plus marks, um, it's got some vivid language. I mean, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's an unforgettable line. I remember being a young boy and hearing that line for the first time. If you grew up in church, you probably do too. It's a very sharp image. This letter's sharp warning that this unrepentant church will soon become a worthless church is matched by a tenderness, by a tenderness and an availability that I think 
honestly is pretty shocking. Look again at verse 19. After this harsh but but needed correction, he says, that is Christ, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. This word love in Greek is not agape like we often hear of a it is it is a it is a word that means a brotherly affection. This church is receiving this letter and seeing I have a sibling tender affectionate connection to you and that is where this discipline and rebuke comes out of. There's nothing to commend in this church and yet he pauses to say what I am saying to you is a hard word, but it's because I love you. And there is a tenderness to that. But even more so, and more amazingly, I think, Christ is available to him. This is a, where we will see how repentance becomes irresistible. Looking in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this, this verse is often used, uh, if you grew up in church, as kind of an appeal to someone who is not saved. And it's to say, Christ is, is, is ready, and, he, and, he's, and he's available, and he's here for you, though, though you don't know him yet. Well, that, I, I don't necessarily think that's an inappropriate way to use that verse, because we do know that is true of Christ. But look, <laughs> look at who this is originally for. This is for a church. This is not written to non-believers. This is written to a church, to, to men, to women, to children who originally who professed faith. They, they've made a profession in Christ as Lord. But, but not only to, to men and women and children who have professed faith. This letter is written to, to men and women and children who have professed faith and then snubbed the one to whom they, were, they ought to have been faithful. And how do you and I respond to someone who has repeatedly overlooked us, snubbed us, ignored us? Maybe someone in your life who actually owes you something, who you've made time for, who you've given up something for and sacrificed for and what is the instinct that happens internally when you start to feel like that person's checked out? They're not, they don't care about what I've done for you here. I'll tell you what my sinful instinct is. It's, okay, you can go that way. All right, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Jesus is not done. He's standing at the door, the door of unrepentant Christians who are essentially slowly or maybe quickly becoming worthless Christians. He is standing at the door and has been for some time, knocking again and again, seeking that the relationship would be restored. This puts a different perspective on this verse that somewhere right now, Christ is present and active trying to initiate a restored relationship to a lukewarm Christian. Could that be you? What if it is you? 
What does Christ want? Like the church in Laodicea, we certainly have to say that Christ is calling us to repent. But that is not all that he has said. For he has said, be zealous and repent. Be filled with a zeal, an earnestness, a too passionate, too caught up in something, (laughs) a love for something. And where does this come from? It comes from the Christ who does not middle, who does not measure His grace, who is not lukewarm in extending His hand to us. His love comes unmeasured. You can think of a, a worse church maybe than Laodicea. They're up there, and He says, take everything you need from me. I love you. That's why I'm saying this. I'm still here. I'm knocking on the door, not offering a lukewarm love. And from that comes the zeal unto repentance. And that is the moment when repentance becomes irresistible, an experience of His grace where we are shocked and just say, what would you have me do, Lord? What do you you want me to to put down so I can pick up what you have for me. So often, biblically, the the relationship between Christ and His church, which is the the two sort of people in this letter, right? Christ writing to His church, it's it's, uh, pictured as as a husband and His bridegroom. You just think of a marriage like um, what, what, what do we want from a marriage? Just like show up, blank faith, blank face, do what's expected, try to be, try not to be unfaithful. Like, is that all you want? Is that all God wants? No, no. God has been knocking at the door of His bride, calling her to be zealous for Him again. This verse parallels a verse in Song of Solomon, where a bride reflects on her beloved knocking at the door. She says, I, I slept but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking open to me, my love. Where are we going to find a God like this? A God who is ceaseless in His love to a people who have every reason to be zealous and affectionate and passionate back, but have become utterly tepid. As the Scriptures have said, let the love of Christ compel us to repentance this morning, each of us, as we have need. His love must be the thing that, rep- uh, that, re- that prompts that response within us. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to take this word in your scriptures and apply it to our lives in a way that is starting to make sense for us. Repentance comes from you. You're the one who lights our lives and shows us what is needed. We rejoice in your love. Lead us in repentance and lead us in your love, we pray. Thank you for this word. In Christ's name, amen.